Hi, this is Garrett Wong, and I played Ensign Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another time-bending edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is fully in control of its own fate, for better or for worse. I'm your host Craig and our journey through the latest Arrowverse seasons concludes with a discussion of DC's Legends of Tomorrow Season 5. Joining me through the time stream or the reality stream or through fate or whatever, we've got Andrew. Hello there, I think it's the original version of me, but until I make another one of myself I can't be sure. I'm going to have to stop you there because uh, something's telling me to kill you and it's making a few good points. Indeed, I will stop then. I was about to say, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Chris. It's it's also telling me to kill you. Also telling me to kill Andrew, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Chris. Welcome aboard this final DC TV podcast of 2020. Woo! Or the first one of 2021, depending on my editing. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? It could take a while. But here we are. We're here to talk about Legends of Tomorrow. We had another season of Legends of Tomorrow that gave us some laughs, gave us some stuff. But we won't get to that quite yet because we have to go to our award-winning segment. What award it's winning, who knows? Time travel. It's one in one of the timelines. Considering the lack of content out this year, I think this is our year. We'll be the only people... Oh no, there's loads of podcasts. I don't know, is this, is this not the year that everyone is now doing a podcast? Yeah. Stephen Mel's doing a podcast. It's like, come on, man. No, yeah, why, why didn't he... not fair. He didn't release it on our network, did he? You know, it's like no. he could have thrown us a bone. We'd have helped him out. It's like, yeah, all he had to do was ask. I'd have had yeah. him on for a couple of episodes. Be fine. Yeah, could have done guest hosting role and stuff like that. I mean, even I've hosted a podcast once. I'm sure you'd have let Stephen host one. Of course. If he asked. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I'm just talking to like Grant Gustin or Katie Lotz or half the cast of Legends or whatever. It's like, come on. Let, let me just go to my phone book and see who I'm going to do on my next podcast. Yeah. Like, great, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, cheers. Well done for your access and your notoriety. But yeah, you yeah. can't stay mad at Stephen Amell. No, no, you can't. And his massive address book of contacts where we have only got eight people in our phone book and that's it. Yes. And they're all here. <laughs> it's because some of us have more than one number. That's why it's... You know, <laughs> in my phone book, it's Chris, home. Chris, work. Chris, mobile. There's three already. So, award-winning segment. Neil before and rise against. Okay, Andrew, kick us off with your first Neil before of the day. Right, I am going to be kneeling before Hellraiser, or more specifically, the possibility that Clive Barker might be getting the rights to it back. If you're unaware, Hellraiser is a series of horror movies that began in the mid-1980s, the first of which was based on Clive Barker's novella called The Hellbound Heart, which he adapted himself. 
Although he doesn't control the rights to them, and as the series progressed, as lengthy film series are often want to do, and in particular horror ones, they got progressively worse, with some of the latter ones just bordering on utterly unwatchable. So the idea of Clive Parker getting the property back and being able to do what he wants with it and the way that he envisioned it is something that I find quite, quite exciting and I hope it actually comes to pass. Are the rights lapsing and then they just go back to the original owner kind of thing? or No, it's a weird legal thing about if a creative was involved to a certain degree in writing a feature, then they have... Uh, possibility of sticking a claim to, to the series. It's a similar thing that's just going on with the Friday the 13th series. Okay. The guy who originally wrote the script the first movie, uh, uh, Victor Miller, is, is currently suing Sean Cunningham for the rights to it because he's arguing that he effectively created it. So it's a bit up in the air as to how legally viable it is. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Cool. Hellraiser's the one with the guy that has like acupuncture in his face, isn't it? Pinhead. Yes, I was say Pinhead, but I didn't think that was right and I didn't want you to laugh at me, so... <laughs> acupuncture in his face. Well, it's a pretty apt and distinctive description. Yeah, not to be confused with Hellblazer, which is a John Constantine comic series. Though interestingly, the comic book series was actually originally going to be called Hellraiser, but because Clive Barker actually came up with the name first, we just renamed Hellblazer. All right, okay. So that's a thing that's happening. Not bad. Oh. Chris, what Sounds are you kneeling cool. for? I am going to kneel before the new Star Wars Squadrons trailer, which looks rather fun. So it's a sort of first-person fighter pilot game set in the Star Wars universe. So you spend half your time as a pilot for the Empire and half your time as a pilot for the Rebellion. It's set after Return of the Jedi and... It's going to be multi-platform, so people on PC can play against people on PlayStation, on Xbox, and all that sort of stuff. It looks kind of cool. So I'm all about my little space games and my space sims, so this looks pretty awesome. Spend half your time with the Empire and half your time with the Rebellion. That's going to keep you busy. I know, I know. Sort of playing both sides, you know. Talk about playing them against each other. Yeah, exactly. Being a bit Palpatine-esque, you've got to play both sides here, you know, play them against (laughs) each other and uh, for your own ends. Spoiler alert for... Star Wars. Uh. <laughs> I saw the trailer for this and I wasn't hugely impressed by it, to be honest. I oh, thought, really? Yeah, I just thought, oh, this looks like another EA Star Wars game. I'm just waiting to see how much it will cost you after you've bought the game and how much is yeah. left out of the actual released version and whether there will actually be a campaign or whether I'm just expected to play it online the whole time. I mean, it looks like there's going to be some sort of campaign mode, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, I'm hoping for something like the Rogue Squadron series or Rogue Leader or whatever it was called. There's various titles on the Nintendo systems. I had the one on the N64 and then I had one on the GameCube as well. So if it's along those lines and looked better than that, then cool. But based on what I've seen already, I'm not hugely impressed. There was some gameplay in the trailer, but not a lot. And EA have a difficult track record just because they made one good Star Wars game that actually turned out to be... (laughs) <laughs> what they promise doesn't mean I'm going to believe them when they say that they're reformed, because I don't think they have. Be ready for loot boxes, that's all I'm saying. Hmm. Manual before is going to be the PS5. They did a very long presentation where they unveiled some games, showed us the look of the console. We've all seen the memes where it looks like the tower that Sauron <laughs> is above, and where it's a looks like a router with some bits of paper. To the size of it. It's all hilarious. And yeah, fair enough. The design of the console, I like it, but once you buy a console, you just put it under your TV and you never think about it again. So 
the design is almost not that important, I would say. But I'm really excited about some of the games that they've got coming out. There's one where you get to play as a cat, play cat, running about. It's pretty cool. You know, there's like racing games and there's all sorts of different stuff. There's a sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. Even though I've not really played Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm excited for it. And it looks like we're getting away from this gunmetal grey first-person shooter rut that we've been in for quite a while. Because there's a lot of really good art direction on some of these games. A lot of good mm. colour, a lot of good stuff on there. So if I don't have to look at bland warehouses where I'm just shooting at people for a while, then that'd be nice. Yeah, I, I watched the the sort of launch night as well, and I thought there was quite a lot of sort of arty things. It was quite funny because it's here's these amazing graphics and all these things, but a lot of them were actually toning down the graphics and using them more atmospherically than they were sort of blinding you with first-person shooter action or anything like that. So it was very interesting. We've got a little teaser of the new Spider-Man game as well and little bits like that. Yeah, it's a Spider-Man sort of interquel. It's kind of... Not a f- it is a full game, but it's not a full game, as in you wouldn't be expected to get the full experience out of it, so it's just something that they can put together. Some have suggested it might be a, an expansion segment on a remastered version of the game that they're bringing out on PS5, but that's not clear yet. Either way, I, I mean, I'll double dip and buy the game again on PS5 if the upgrade's worth it. Like the good little mark that I am, I'll pay twice. <laughs> the Last of Us 2 is coming out on Friday as we record this. We record this on the 17th of June, so it's not out yet. By the time this goes up, it'll be out, and I'll have probably completed it. But they'll probably and bring the f- that out again on the PS5. By the time we completed the third one, will have been announced and be coming out shortly. <laughs> yeah. So, lots of good gaming stuff going on. Can't wait to spend a lot of money on a PS5. We don't know how much it is yet, although by the time this podcast <laughs> goes out, we might know how much it is by that point. The new cycle that's just a, keeps moving. Yeah, that's uh, Craig McKenzie kneeling before the £1 million price tag of the new PlayStation 5. Yeah, he, he paid it. He's paying it off over the next thousand years, but he's paid. His grandchildren are committed to paying this off. Joke's on them, though. I'm not having any children, so, yeah, the debt will die with me. That's a cheery thought about a game's company. <laughs> <laughs> Found the name of the podcast, The Debt Will Die With Me. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to something less positive then, since I'd started us on down that rabbit hole. Andrew, what do you want to rise against? Today I'm going to be rising uh, against Artemis Fowl. This is a movie that hit Netflix earlier this week. And it's based on a series of YA fantasy novels by an Irish writer, Owen Colfer. And the movie is just complete and utter garbage. It's not specifically because of its lack of fidelity to the novel it's purportedly adapting, although that is a major aspect of it. What was a fairly intricate story basically just became a kind of bog-standard MacGuffin hunt that you often have in basic fantasy movies, except the location of the MacGuffin was never in doubt, so there's hardly any actual hunting, so all you got left is the character interaction, which is absolutely appalling and the progression of the scenes like just doesn't tie together properly in any way and the whole thing is just one gigantic big 
mess. And the kind of reaction that you'll have against it can be pretty much summed up in a single moment where a transport ship emerges from hidden hidden city within the Earth coming to the surface, and then its door dramatically lowers. And Judy Dench, done up as a, as a fairy and wearing vibrant green clothing, walks out and declares, Top the morning, do you? Is it to me a common occurrence of attempting to adapt a fancy novel as a movie when it would work better as a TV series. Like the same kind of thing that, that, that happened with the likes of like Percy Jackson and his, his Dark Materials. Uh, there were attempts at films of them which were decidedly mediocre and a decade later cropped uh, up against TV series. So possibly in 2030 we can expect a 10-part Artemis Fowl series on Netflix that will hopefully, hopefully be better than this pilot tripe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched it at the weekend and I thought it was atrocious. I was about 40 minutes away from it finishing, which is roughly about the halfway point of the film, and I was just thinking to myself, I really want to turn this off. This is horrible. And I'd kind of stopped paying attention by that point as well, so when the story revelations were happening towards the end, I'd kind of forgotten what the setup was a little bit, and yeah, it doesn't hold my attention. I feel like Disney have just punted it on Disney Plus to just bury it because they must have realised that it's a lot of crap. Yeah, and, and I think when they released the first trailer for it, I'm just... Everyone just completely slated it mercilessly. They realised there was no way it was going to be any kind of success. So they just dumped it and used the current state of cinema as, as an excuse to, to just get rid of it and absolve themselves of any further responsibility for its existence. At least it's only about an hour and a half long, so could be worse. There is that, yeah. Well, when I was watching it, uh, at one point like, I gl- glanced like, at a time and saw it. It was like half, uh, half an hour into it. I was thinking... Nothing's happened yet. A lot of it seems to be held together with narration, which sort of just tells you that there's a lot of bad story plotting in there. Yes. You know, it's not very well done if they're having to tie everything together by going, okay, so let me introduce you to this character. This character's this way, and this is what they do, and this is why this world works. Okay, let's go into the scene now. And then it'll change scene, and it's instantly got to be, okay, now this is this person. Now this person lives here and does this and does that, and, and their motivation is this. I shouldn't need a narration telling me this through what is about 80% of the film, I think, the narration runs over. It's not just the initial setup. It's not just the thing. It's most of the film. And it's a really horrible accent for the, <laughs> the narration as well. It <laughs> really grated on me. So, nothing yeah. beats Judy Dench's Batman voice. Nothing beats that. That is quite something. She seemed up for it. She was about the only one who was, I think. I think she was just having fun. Yeah, I mean... Women of her years, she'd be like, yeah, I don't care. And also an actor of her calibre as well. Yeah. I can't do TV cameos for James Bond anymore. I can't appear on a DVD that was left on my desk or something anymore. It's, that ship has sailed, so I'll do this. I can't help wondering if possibly one of her grandchildren might have had a hand in convincing her. Because it seems to be a recurring thing that when these respected elder actors take roles in things which might actually be considered beneath them. Because remember, when Richard Harris cast that as Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies, he said that the reason he agreed to it was because his granddaughter quite flatly told him that if he didn't say yes, she'd never speak to him again. <laughs> Maybe it was uh, the money as well. Maybe they wrote her a cheque with a lot of zeros on it, and she was like, yes, please. And also, this is also kind of going, going back a bit, but in, in Bill and Ted's bogus journey, with the villain that was played by Joss Ackland, he basically did that because his granddaughter dared him to. Yeah, there's a few examples of that. Is it not Dennis Hopper and Mario Brothers did it because his grandson or something asked him to? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Roll Julia from Street Fighter because of his kids, I think, or someone's kids. That was more because at the time that film was being made, he was 
basically dying. So he, he, did, he did the role so his, fa- his family would have some money yeah. after after he was gone, which is also why he was completely hamming it up. Like, mm-hmm. for, it, I think, because he knew for him in the long run, it didn't matter. Yeah, and why not? Okay, so Chris, what would you like to rise against? Well, do you know what? Strangely enough, I had the same one written down, but I also had down a more generic one, which is TV channels. Stop repeating rubbish during lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I want to revisit Big Brother? I don't want to revisit Big Brother. All these channels out there, and I know this will probably be a bit too UK-centric, but what the heck, we're in the UK. So... (laughs) <laughs> Channel 4, for example, is going back and going, let's do the best of Big Brother. Let's pull all this out. A load of these channels Rubbish are sitting on back catalogs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was five minutes and then they rolled the credits. <laughs> a lot of these channels are going back and they've got vast back catalogs of stuff and they seem to be picking up the drudge to put on the TV. So dig a bit deeper, channels. If you're going to show repeats, show better repeats. Don't show us the worst of what you would normally select at Christmas. That's all. Is that what the Big Brother thing was? I thought it was like trending on social media, but I didn't dare click on it to find out what it was. <laughs> no, so I think I think it's part tied up with an anniversary, and with the lack of content, they must have rubbed their hands with glee and went, ha, 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 ha. oh, we can spin this out for weeks, which is what they've done. Do you remember when these vapid idiots did this thing? Like, nah, nobody does. No one cares. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. My counter-proposal to that is just don't watch these TV channels during lockdown. There's plenty of Plenty else to occupy yourself with. Don't bother letting them get to you with their rubbish. I don't think I've had a TV channel on since, well, this year, really. I don't, um, since Doctor Who finished. That was the last time I watched TV on TV. <laughs> There's nothing else worth watching. You get Boris's daily briefing. Well, he's not usually at them these days, but yeah, they're not watching. It's a bit too uh, dystopian for my liking. <laughs> I don't have the self-control to not put my fist through the screen, and I can't afford another TV. <laughs> That's fair enough. Speaking of contemptible individuals, my rise against is going to be Hartley Sawyer, of, who played Ralph Dibney on the <sighs> Turns out he's a bit of a scumbag and was fired for it. So I'm not going to repeat these tweets, but some tweets were unearthed where he said some pretty horrendous things. Some truly, truly awful stuff. And he's been rumbled and he's been fired as a result. So Ralph Dibney will not be appearing on The Flash next season. Which is fine by me. Or partly Sawyer won't be appearing on The Flash next season. Ralph Dibney might, because he can change his face. So if they want to recast, they can. And will anybody miss him? I won't miss him, really. I'm just happy that... He's been found out and he's not going to be around these people anymore. But now, Some people might liken this to the James Gunn situation where stuff he said years ago ended up losing him his job and stuff like that. But with him, it suggested that you know, this was some stupid stuff he said years ago to be controversial, whereas this is just him being offensive for years at a time over a period of a long time. So he's not a good person by the looks of things. Yeah, pretty much, actually. Pretty much mirrors my thoughts on the situation. Yeah, just basically he's a trash human being. And it's good that he's gone. Yeah. Chris, are you going to rush to his defence, or...? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah, as far as I'm being on The Flash, I think they've done the right thing, dropping him from the show. I've never been the character's biggest fan in the first place. I've not even finished this season yet, to be honest. It's one of the ones that I've not caught up with yet. But once I finish, I look forward to listening to your podcast about it. Yeah, where we 
didn't know about it at the time and we'd speculate on what they might do with Ralph next season. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is like is the mm-hmm. possible. No, they could recast because he's one of those people that can just change his face. Mm. You just need a flimsy reason for him to change his face and away you go. Oh, Barry will change the timeline again and there'll be like six of them. (laughs) Or if they want to get rid of him, then they could just have him launching off on some eternal search to find Sue Dearborn. Yeah. It'd be a shame if she doesn't come back back because he's not coming back. Because she's good. That is true, actually, yeah. That's a problem when when, when you have one character who is too closely tied to another. Also, CW, when casting, read your damn Hyrie's Twitter accounts before making any decisions. Do some detective work, CW. Yeah. I remember like, like, a, a, a while back when it, it, it came out uh, about what utter scum Andrew Kreisberg was. Yeah. And, and he's one of the people who actually in charge of the shows. <laughs> and then there was all these eyewitness accounts of, oh yeah, he was totally inappropriate most of the time. And no one ever said anything. Fair enough. He's rid of. We will have to see him again in that role. He can apologise all he likes, but yeah, I think they're done with him. Which is the right decision, because what he said was terrible. I'm not even going to link it in the show notes. Look it up yourself if you're really interested, but it's disgusting. It's truly some disgusting stuff. Some racist stuff, some homophobic stuff, some sexist stuff. It covers all the bases. He manages to offend just about everyone. And it's it's not even something that I could even see how somebody would even think it was funny. No. It's just basically garbage inside of a trash person's head being spilled onto a screen. Yeah. So that's that. That's our Neil Before Rise Against. Before we move on to our featured topic, we should probably do a Batwoman news update, because there is one. And the stuff that we said on previous podcasts is now horribly out of date, because the news cycle moves quicker than I can edit, unfortunately. (laughs) So the latest is, there was some information that they were going to kill her off and replace her, which is one of the theories I had on a previous podcast. They're now not doing that, or they were never doing that in the first place. Because I think the showrunner, Caroline Dry, she's um, LGBT. I'm not sure what label she identifies herself with, but she said she's well aware of the burying your gaze trope and she's not going to be the one to do that. So Kate Kane's disappearance will be a mystery throughout season two. Which, yeah, okay, you're not killing her off. She's not going to be there, fine. But if you're going to leave it as a mystery as to where she is, you have to resolve that at some point. And how can you do that without her being in it? Yeah, it's kind of a conundrum that they're leaving themselves with. And I can't help but wonder if they're just coming up with this as a temporary stopgap and they've decided they'll figure out a solution later without much current idea of what that actually might be. Yeah. Although the latest is that they're maybe eyeing someone who's in Riverdale an actress called Vanessa Morgan, who plays a character called Tony Topaz. I have never watched a single episode of Riverdale, so I have no idea who this is. I'm trying to remember which one she was. I think, I think she's supposed to be like one of those secondary kind of gang characters. I can't, I can't picture her specifically, but that kind of name sounds like she's part of that kind of crew. Apparently she's the only black series regular in Riverdale at the moment. Oh, oh wait, yeah, her. Yeah, I, I know, I know who, you, who you mean. And she said, tired of how black people are portrayed in media, tired of us being portrayed as thugs, dangerous, or angry, scary people, said Morgan, whose character in Riverdale is the leader of a biker gang. Tired of us also being used as sidekick, non-dimensional characters to our white leads. We're only used in the ads for diversity, but not actually in the show. There's nothing to disagree with there, that's fair enough. I did see a funny observation from someone where, it was after the fact that she talked about the, you know, 
underwritten or poorly written character that she apparently plays. I have no idea. But and it just suggested that on Riverdale, no one's well written. It's nothing to do with what race or gender you are. Everyone's just equally poorly done. Riverdale is completely demented. It's like demented in in a way that portrays itself as really serious, though, hmm. as, as something to, to be to be taken seriously. While at the same time having plots like involving gangs and cults and brainwashing and serial killers and constant underage sex and uh, prison fight clubs and a silent pact from 30 years previously of some D&D group who accidentally killed somebody. It's a, it's a constant stream of nonsense week after week. Sounds you like Hollyoaks on steroids. <laughs> You've actually almost talked me into giving it a go. It sounds pretty fun. <laughs> it starts off as a very Twin Peaks style thing, but then just gets progressively more mental as it goes on. Hmm, okay. I probably won't watch it, but it sounds like a very CW show. It does sound like that. But it would be bad for Riverdale, I guess, if she gets cast as Batwoman, because that means there's no black leads on the show anymore. But I've never actually got the impression that diversity was one of Riverdale's problems. Well, there's quite a few gay characters in it. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, aside from her, they are overwhelmingly white, with the vague nod to diversity being the main character being Ginger. All right. (laughs) I thought Veronica, the, whatever her name is, I thought she was kind of mixed race. Yeah, she is Latino. Or Latina, he, I guess. Sorry, yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> but because she can pass as white, then it sometimes gets forgotten. So, Vanessa Morgan, I've never seen you in anything, but sure. I was pretty sure they were going to promote from within to the casting of Batwoman. That tends to be a CW thing. They seem to take care of their own, so it's pretty good. I'm sure she'll be fine. I don't know if she's leading woman material, because I've never seen it, so fair enough, but... She seems quite passionate about the fact that TV shows don't represent her necessarily. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. By the time this podcast goes out, she might have the role. <laughs> we'll see. Hmm. Well, they've cast someone completely different. Oh, they've cast uh... someone completely different, yeah. The thing is, with this Batwoman speculation, it's all this talk about who's going to play not Kate Kane because it's definitely not Kate Kane anymore. It's a replacement. It's someone else wearing the costume. Fine. But... Because they've specifically said we're only casting from the LGBT community, it gets a bit harder to speculate because there's so many actors that you see on things and you don't know. They haven't disclosed their sexuality, perhaps, which they don't have to do. Although, to get this role, they have to do that, which is a bit odd if you think about it that way. So it makes it difficult. It's like, yeah, I think this person would be a good choice to lead a TV series. Is she gay? I don't know. It's kind of a fine line to go down the road. I think the, the reasoning behind it is that to cast a random straight person in the role would suggest that a straight person is better at playing a gay person than a gay person. And particularly at the moment, with the rights of gay people being constantly eroded, then it's really not a look that they're keen to promote. Yeah. I completely understand and I completely support the idea that they're doing that. I'm just talking about from the kind of fan speculation point of view. Because when you say we're just looking for an actress to play this role, then yeah, you just fish around in other CW shows and be like, oh, what about her? What about her? What about her? And then you have to ask yourself that secondary question. Have they come out publicly in their careers as being LGBT in some way? So that's why I haven't really been speculating because, yeah, I don't know. Whereas if it's just someone who identifies as female, it's a bit easier to sit and 
speculate endlessly. Yeah, he also a pretty concise perspective. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But I thought we should discuss it and then be at least up to date with one piece of news on Batwoman as we sweepingly become not up to date by the time I get this thing out. Well, perhaps I'll give you an incentive to work faster, work harder. I was going to say, I can't work any faster or harder, but I probably could do that. Let's be honest. <laughs> Before asking myself that huge question, let's move on to our featured topic. Legends of Tomorrow, season five? Yes, five. Yeah, good, got it right. Brilliant. Yeah, five. <laughs> wait, <laughs> Great wait, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are we talking about again? It started the same year as Supergirl, so it's on the same number of seasons as Supergirl, which I also think I got wrong. Or, or was it zero? <laughs> so, five. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good job I can edit out anything wrong that I say and replace it with the right answer, but that's not as fun. <laughs> it's just more edit. It's actually easier if people think I'm an idiot because I have to do less work. Okay, so let's start with spoiler-free thoughts on the season as a whole, as we usually do. Andrew, hit it. Right, well, I really enjoyed this season. I think it was a big improvement over the previous one, which was enjoyable, but also a bit hit and miss, whereas this one was more consistently entertaining while also uh, maintaining the sense of joyful lunacy that has made this show so much fun but also not playing into it so much that it just becomes a complete farce so uh, still able to take it seriously when we need to but also having a hell of a lot of fun along the way press what did you think of the season having only just finished it having only just finished it hot off the press yeah i thought it was a really good season overall i'm the same as andrew i think it wasn't as hit as miss as previous seasons i think they really are leaning into just how bonkers they can go with this program which is what i love i think i've said on other podcasts before it's like i let legends away with murder plot wise and story wise because they just lean into it and they don't appear to take themselves overly seriously in either the writing or the show itself when it's on screen so yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I like all that. I thought it was a great season. I had a few issues with some bits and pieces of it, which I'll get to. But on the whole, I thought it was really good. I think they did some really bonkers stuff, some stuff that worked really well. They're always good at character, always, and that continues to be the case. That's why we let them off with the nonsense that they do, because mm. you believe what's going on elsewhere, which stops it from becoming a total disposable farce, which is nice. Yeah, strong season. And I'm just glad it's a thing that exists in my life, so it's a good thing. So, shall we get Gideon to take us into the spoilers? Engage. Do you hear that, Gideon? Strap yourselves in. We are on the move and preparing to fire. So now we're in the spoiler section. Thanks, Gideon. Pleasure as always. You go hop off and back to whatever you were doing. So we'll just start with the characters, because that's ultimately what this is all about. I like the approach they did with sort of Sarah and Ava, turning them into co-captains. Instead of Sarah being the de facto leader, now there's a kind of joint... Effectively, the parents. They're the parents of this group of kids. And I really liked that. I liked Ava sort of having to find a new purpose in life after the Time Bureau's not a thing in her life anymore. That all fed in really well, her learning how to manage the team because they're very difficult to manage especially with Mick on the team <laughs> and that was all good I really enjoyed that I think it worked really well it was interesting seeing Sarah sort of take a step back and trusting Ava to just find her feet she wasn't butting in she wasn't telling Ava how she should be doing things it was just no no you have to learn how to do this just like I did I'm not gonna stand in your way so that's a really 
mature approach to leadership because it would have been so easy. It's like, stop suffocating me. I'm trying to figure out a big captain here. You're talking over me and overriding my decisions and stuff. Leave me alone. So they didn't do that, Hmm. which I would have hated. As well as it being development of Sarah's style of leadership, I think it's also a development of Sarah and Ava's relationship. That they're now reached a point where Sarah feels able to trust her enough to leave Ava in charge of everything that's important to her. Because basically the Wave Rider and the people on it and the shenanigans that they get involved in are her in her entire life. And because Sarah is someone who has generally being quite an independent character, to become part of a dual relationship partnership. It's quite an indication of how she's grown as a person. And they've always done their relationship well, I think, right from when they started doing it, because unlike in other shows, I'm just going to say it, get it out of the way, (laughs) unlike in Flash, (laughs) where they manufacture these angsty... (laughs) We've done it, I don't have to do it again if I don't want to. 15 minutes? (laughs) Nah, we've been gone for longer than that. Drinking game. (laughs) (laughs) Be hammered by five minutes in. (laughs) But in Flash, they manufacture these problems, particularly in the Barry and Iris relationship, just so that we have some kind of angst that we can play around with, where any problem that they had in the Sarah-Ava relationship was relatable, as in you've got Sarah who hasn't really settled down with anyone or anything in a long time getting used to the idea that she actually feels like she could, but she doesn't know how to do it. And the fact that they work through their relationship issues together, it doesn't cause a breakup at any point. (laughs) It's about how they work together, move on, and figure out how to be a partnership. And that's great. I mean, it's such a mature approach that you don't... Well, maybe you see it on other network shows, but you don't see it on a lot of CW shows. Is that so much of the relationship aspects of CW shows is just all the drama all the time, and everything is designed to provide the maximum amount of angst for the characters to mope about till it actually gets fixed by a single basic conversation. But actually, having Sarah and Ava communicate as functional adults is actually quite refreshing. Yeah, it's a big case of sometimes it's drama for drama's sake. It's They can't leave characters being happy. They just keep throwing obstacles and things in the way. And you never get that sort of normal relationship dynamic because they're constantly fighting, constantly keeping secrets for each other. You know, that kind of trope that we see again and again and again in these shows. So it is a nice change. Yeah, and I love that Ava was completely stressed out by the fact that she was left in charge of the team. <laughs> Sarah wasn't bothered. Sarah's like, yeah, I'm going to Star City for a bit. See you later. Have fun. And mm-hmm. then she disappears for a bit. And then Ava is just stressed out because she wants Sarah to return <laughs> to this perfectly completed mission. So, Have you been paying attention, Ava? There's never a perfectly completed mission. It never happens. Our whole thing is that we screw up all the time. <laughs> yeah, so... Don't worry about it. Like that episode where she thought she was singing well, but she sounded terrible. It was that (laughs) combination of that stress that she was experiencing. We needed a distraction. Yeah, that was the perfect encapsulation of the I'm trying too hard. And that was, yeah, it was great. So I really liked how they did that. And I really liked how she led the team. First of all, she was trying to like time bureau them, just give them orders and give them schedules and all this kind of stuff. And then she realized, no, no, this is how you manage Mick. This is how you manage Ray. Mm -hmm. This is how you manage everybody. She kind of got the little quirks that Sarah had been exploiting in them for years to get them to actually do what she needs them to do. I thought that was a nice touch, a nice learning experience for her. 
No, definitely. It's like you say, it's playing the characters off each other and doing it really well. I like the two captains line that they had during the, the sort of trapped in TV episode where they're the captains of the starship. Yeah. And one of them says, activate the translator. The other one says, prime the weapons. <laughs> and you've got, <laughs> turns to the sort of the anonymous ensign going, oh, I love having two captains. <laughs> it's like, you know, enabling weapons and the translator. <laughs> it's like, great, okay. You might not remember, but during the season two Legends podcast, I said that Sarah in season two had been turned into Captain Kirk. She was flying through, <laughs> in this case, time and space, rather than just space, I guess, seducing women. And now she got to play the Captain Kirk character in that fake TV <laughs> show. So I'm going to take that as a win on my behalf from three years ago. Works for me. Sounds good. You can only take it as a win if you go back to that podcast, you edit the clip out and you put it here as evidence. Oh, don't give me more work. <laughs> I don't know when I said it in the podcast, but I know that I said it. Nope, there's just a big long podcast for you to go through now just to get that one clip. Is there any way? Or we, or we won't believe you. There has to be like audio recognition software where I can just search for keywords such as Kirk and then it'll find it. Yeah, your search provided 120 different <laughs> Neil Before this podcasts. Guy talks about Captain Kirk <laughs> it's kind of his go to word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I would imagine that some kind of software like that exists because how else would government agencies spy on us? Yeah. I guess there's like transcription software and things like that that does stuff, but I've never used any of it. I don't know, speech recognition, Scottish accents, it's never going to end well. If I can be bothered finding the clip, it'll be in here. If I can't be bothered finding the clip, I'll edit it. You'll make it up. (laughs) (laughs) The entire section will be gone. No one will ever know it was in here. I'll just say, I'll take the win, I'll keep Andrew's, yeah, it sounds good, and then I'll just kill everything else. (laughs) (laughs) The power, the power that I wield. And I like that it essentially turned her into Captain Kirk. You know, she's travelling to different time periods and seducing women to different planets. (laughs) But that's what she does. You know, it's a... I don't know. It's a very perverse version of Star Trek we've got here, you know, with uh, time-travelling superheroes flying around. Uh, But yeah, she's essentially a Captain Kirk-type figure. So that was... In terms of Sarah, weirdly it wasn't a huge season for her, I don't think. I think, obviously, she was there and she was important. And early on, she was dealing with the loss of Oliver. I liked that kind of everybody walking on eggshells in the first episode when they weren't sure how she was coping with it. And then there was that whole, she got offered a job in Star City but didn't say anything about it at first. I don't understand why Renee would assume that she would want that job. He's a bit of a dick though, isn't he? <laughs> trying to remember. Phone, it's like trying. Mr. Dog or whatever she called him. That was funny. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a Mr. Dog on the line for you. <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember what job she was offered. I don't think they ever said. I think they just said a job. I was just, a job. All right, okay. I kept sort of going through my head going, what job did he offer? No, I think it was just a job, but they never said what it was. I mean, there's no crime. She would be bored out of her mind in Star City. Yeah, can you imagine? So, other than that, she was kind of around for the season, then she goes blind towards the end, which gives her clarity, which is fairly standard for when people lose their sight, I guess, in shows like this. Oh, I did like that her going blind wasn't a problem which was immediately solved in the first five minutes of the the next episode. Mm. It was just a problem that she had and she dealt with. And despite being unable to see, still remained kind of badass. Yeah, I mean, she's got perfectly tuned senses, so it's not as if she can't do anything. 
No, I, I thought it was really good. Like you say, Andrew, it wasn't something that they took and then went, and uh, next episode, uh, they power Gideon up at the end and Gideon goes, oh, you're fixed. And then that's it. They waited it out. It also showed her sort of relying on the rest of the team. It was further to that development of trusting the team, trusting Ava to do what they needed to do. Yeah. And she had that power to see the future as well, which usually resulted in seeing death. But there was some funny stuff. It was like, um, was it put the gun away or something like that? I can't remember. There was a prediction that was just funny where someone just had to take something off Mick or whoever. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. Chris, it's probably in one of the episodes that you watched today. <laughs> no, no, I think it's one of the ones I watched yesterday. <laughs> All right, yeah. oh, it's, it's gone then. <laughs> it's gone. It's been overwritten. My memory's frazzled. Like she touched someone, it was like, take that off, whoever it was, and then that was the end of it. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it was funny. It was used really well, that power, and that scene where she was sitting around in the pub, very Shaun of the Dead. And they were all talking about kind of what they were grateful for. And she was like, yeah, pretty happy with life, the way it's turned out. If this is how it ends, as I've seen in a vision, it's all right because I'm comfortable. And that's, again, a big step forward for her because she's not always been super comfortable with life and being alive, really. So I really liked that. It just made her seem just a bit more human, really, and less like this unstoppable force of nature is that she's an actual person they've been pretty good at putting that vulnerability back into her where at first especially when you're taking her over from sort of the arrow side where it's sort of the unbeatable assassin kind of thing they've definitely made her a lot more human through this show you still know that as soon as she goes into a fight she's gonna oh yeah yeah but, but still she has other issues that she has to deal with she's got two modes yeah she either gets beaten immediately by the villain or she puts up a good fight it's either or yeah let's move on to john constantine i have a theory that they have limited availability of matt ryan and they're sort of bending over backwards to make his available screen time fit as much as possible that's why you have so many scenes in this house that he didn't have before and i guess in hell as well so that's a couple of sets he spends most of his time on yeah, and I did always find it a little odd how he was always credited as a special guest star. Yeah. Despite being in every episode. Yeah, but there's some episodes where he's only in it for a minute. Yeah, sort mm. of a walk on and then walk off yeah. kind of thing. I mean, there was a lot of sort of set reuse this year. Like you say, there was a lot of the house and quite a few other little bits that they reused. Like you say, the hell scenes and things quite a lot. It might have been part his availability, part sort of budget things where they're, they're cutting down sets that they're using rather than building multiple copies of the same thing. You just sort of redress the same set a few times. Yeah, it could be. I just think there might be something with Matt Ryan's availability that they're compensating for. Mm. I mean, he's a key part. As soon as they make it a sort of a magic season, they've got to drop Constantine in, haven't they? Because they've not really got another character that they can pull from at the moment. Yeah. Unless you count Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we always count Gary. I can't wait till John leaves and Gary replaces him. <laughs> I'm actually surprised he's not a full-time cast member at this point. Well, it's possibly because they hadn't really decided how much they wanted to use him. So he was just like a sporting person that they could keep in reserve and bring out as and when he was needed. Or if they needed someone to do something really, really stupid because the plot demanded it, then he would inevitably be the one to do it. Kind of like bringing a hellhound on board because he <laughs> thinks it's cute. <laughs> yeah, you don't like Gary on the ship. <laughs> what are you doing? How many times has he almost blown it up? 
in some way. Uh, we've given them a very important mission. It's Gary. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't give Gary a mission. <laughs> don't do that. It's like, where did you rescue his dog from? Hell. What made you think that would be a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a time loop episode where it seemed that no matter what choice was made, one of the team always ended up being killed. There was, a, there was like a, a memorial photograph for them in the time bureau whenever they walked in. And then one moment walked past and there was Gary being immortalised. They're yeah. like, uh, oh, fine, let's go fix that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, this this might be... Oh, no, we can't... Yeah, okay. Can't really... Uh, He's annoying, but that's not fair. (laughs) So with John Constantine, I think they did some really good stuff with him this season. The back and forth between him and Astra was really good, and I like how they finally resolve that thing that's been lingering since his own show. And it basically identifies that this is the exact same version that had his own show. Because there was contention over that for a while. It's like, is it the same guy or not? And also in one of the episodes of Crisis, when Jim Corgan turned up, and then Constantine comments, like, you're not one I know. Yeah. Where's Chaz? I want to see Chaz. <laughs> yeah, Chaz and Zed. I'm not so fast about Zed, but Chaz. <laughs> Chaz. How many lives has he got left? <laughs> At least a dozen or so. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe Chaz will appear next season. That's what we want, Chaz next season. That's the only thing I really miss from that show at this point. But I like the did the lung cancer story. I was wondering if they were just going to leave that out because it's easier to do on television to just ignore it. But I really liked that they did it and then they accelerated it. And the fact that he got to have that kind of last night on Earth where he just has a meal with some friends, which is something he never felt like he deserved. That was a really touching moment. Yeah, because the amount of self-loathing that Constantine has is one of his defining traits. Oh, it has been, like, right back to the comics. Yeah. The whole storyline with Astra is something that comes directly from his comic book origin. And the fact that he accidentally damned this little girl was a major driving force in turning him into the person that he became. And the way they picked it up here was great, because I think early on Astra was just this scenery-chewing villain, and that didn't really work for me necessarily. But the way John would sort of react to her and... And be like, oh, this is all my fault, this is horrible, I need to fix this. That was the good part. And then later on when they added a bit extra to Astra, a bit of depth to her, suggested that, yeah, okay, she's just someone that's been manipulated for her entire life and doesn't really know what's going on. And she really just needs to hear John say that he's sorry and do what he can to make things right. Because you had that when he offered to get them stuck in the fantasy that was the TV show. It's like, if it's what you want, I'm fine. I will be there. Exactly. It was sort of the conclusion to a long-running story. It added a bit of depth to a villain this season as well. You could see other sides of the argument. It made it work pretty well, as much as it's another sort of MacGuffin hunt of a season. The actual villain, the motivations worked to an extent. And I think the fact that John is to blame, it is his fault, he was arrogant, he made a huge mistake and it ended up damning a young girl with her whole life ahead of her and... That's something he'll probably never forgive himself for, but at the same time, any criticism lobbied against him for doing that is valid because it was the wrong call to make at that point. Yeah, because he basically believed that he was more powerful than he was, and that mistake ended up having disaster repercussions for somebody else. Yeah. I don't know if now that that's resolved, if we'll maybe get a less tortured version of John next season. If he's even in it, we don't know. They haven't really announced if he'll be returning. I know, particularly with Legends, a lot tends to change between seasons where you're expecting one thing to happen and then something else entirely happens. 
I'm thinking specifically of the end of season one where Rex Tyler shows up and then the season starts and they don't even mention him for mm-hmm. a while. It's like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, we changed our minds. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll do a Justice Society episode and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that weird future that you saw isn't going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. Don't go to 1942. Why not? Um, not for the reason that you think. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's happened a couple of times, I think, with Legends. I remember between seasons two and three where it looked like they were going to be living in this weird composite time period where you had Big Ben in the middle of the street and dinosaurs roaming about and then they fixed it within the first five seconds of the season and did something else, for example. So I wouldn't be surprised if John just doesn't turn up next season. I know that Astra said she was going to live with him in his big house. So maybe they'll both be legends who'll sit in his house for a bit and then join the team in a later episode. I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see if he's a bit less tortured because of the fact that he managed to right this wrong that has kind of defined him for so long. He's made other mistakes, I suppose. He's got a lot to feel bad about. <laughs> he's got a list. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, he is kind of a bastard. It's not something that's been explored so much in the TV show, certainly, but in the comics, he certainly isn't above willfully sacrificing other people if it means that the current crisis going on will be resolved. Yeah. Which isn't really his character in this. No. He's almost a little bit watered down, but it works for this. I think seeing a proper balls-to-the-wall comic book adaptation of John Constantine would be a little bit exhausting. It would be brutal. Yeah, because after a while you'd be thinking, are we supposed to root for this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't care how good Matt Ryan is or how much he looks like that drawing that someone did. It's still not <laughs> like him. <laughs> But yeah, that episode where he was dying, where he was minutes from death and he sat around with Ray and Nate and so on and just had a dinner. That's what I'm talking about when they do ludicrous stuff, but they ground it in this really great character stuff that means that you'll accept whatever else they'll do because that's Mm. the important stuff they're getting right. I just think you can't have complete flat out lunacy all the time because... If there's nothing to contrast it against, then it just becomes meaningless. But when you appreciate the actual characters who are involved in all of this, then it's so much more significant. Yeah. And it's a really good moment for Ray as well, because it can be so easy to forget the origin he had on Arrow, where he was someone that was mourning the death of his fiance and stuff like that, because he is largely quite a goofy character. If you think back to Crisis, where everyone dismisses him when the Brandon Routh Superman's in the room and everyone thinks, oh my god, this guy is like huge and handsome and really ripped, mm. and then Ray's just standing there and he's exactly the same. <laughs> Everyone's kind of ignoring him. And Ray has often been a bit like that. He's kind of the dependable golden retriever, I guess, of the team, and people don't really pay much attention to him, but when he's not there, there's something missing. And that episode's great because he's, you know, I've been engaged twice and... It didn't really go my way and things like that. I think those moments with Ray are really good and they were few and far between to a point. And it's a shame that we got such good content with him just when he was leaving. Yeah, that was really frustrating. And I'm glad that Brandon Routh was in no way shy about making known that it wasn't his choice to leave. There's still plenty for Ray to do, I think. I don't think he had to go. No, definitely not. But I assume it was just because the writers decided that there wasn't going to be a place for him in what they're planning to do in the future, so decided that he and Nora should be written out because of it. Yeah, it's weird how they kept calling Nora main character, but she was never in it. Yeah, just appearing every now and then in her ludicrous fairy godmother (laughs) place, giving little girls horses. Because everyone's pony! You get pony! You get pony! Everyone get 
ah, pony! It's <laughs> <laughs> where she turns up with a little girl because Constantine's dying and try and wish that he's healed and she can do it, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can say is that at least they didn't kill them off in some brutal way or throw them out in that way. They gave them a reasonable exit, however premature we feel it may have been. Yeah. And I thought their exit episode was really good in the sense that it was a decent enough exit for them. I like that the sort of final big emotional crescendo was Ray and Nate saying goodbye. <laughs> because, it, of course, it had to be, but it was this yeah. big dramatic, almost like the, oh, look, my crush is going to board an airplane to Paris or whatever. Running through airport security, trying to get there before the plane takes off. It was that kind of vibe. It felt like that. It was done very, very well. And playing it off against the Romeo and Juliet stuff made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah. So that was very, very well done. And the stag do thing was brilliant. I did like it. And I think you were a fan of that scene as well, where they're planning the heist in order to get the ring. <laughs> and it's just escalating and escalating. And it's their version of all the characters and how they see them. Yeah, it's like like yeah. a version of it. And it's like, and then John will do a spell. And then it cuts to the imagination side of it. And it's like, mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he says. <laughs> I was watching that quite early in the morning before work and I laughed quite loud. It was like six in the morning and I was laughing quite loud. So that was a great way to start the day. That was such a funny moment. And then the stag dude turns into Shakespeare deciding to write superhero plays before superhero <laughs> stories were, I think. Yeah, I loved that so much. <laughs> yeah, The whole thing was one of my favourite parts of the entire season. <laughs> it's like the proliferation of superhero stories. That's legends making that point. <laughs> they are that point. That was good. I mean, it was just nonsense how one performance of the real Romeo and Juliet was enough to wipe it from history, but that's what we've come to expect. Well, it's not any more nonsense than the rest of the show. Yeah. It was when Nate was playing Juliet, and it's like, shouldn't this be played by a woman? And it's like, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll miss Ray, and I already did miss Ray. I missed him from the minute he was gone. Next episode, I was like, where is he? You know, where is this guy? Yeah, when's he going to walk back through the door? When do we get the yeah. surprise re-emergence of? And it's like, oh, it's yeah. not happened. The episode before where he sort of got the idea to leave was ludicrous as well, but it was brilliant where Damien Dark showed up for dinner because he got let out of hell because Astro was sicking him on the legends. And he, he just used it as an excuse to go and see Nora. I loved that episode. Anyone where Neil McDonough can come back as Damien Dark, I'm delighted. I still can't believe he was a serious villain in Arrow <laughs> because <laughs> it just doesn't suit him whatsoever. This ridiculous, over-the-top version of him is fantastic in Legends. He's found his home there. <laughs> it was very, very well done. I would argue that Legends isn't a superhero show anymore. It's more of a workplace comedy with some superhero <laughs> elements to it because that episode exists in sitcoms, doesn't it? Where, oh, look, the dad's coming to dinner, but he might not approve of my new boyfriend or fiancé or whatever. So I'm going to you... pretend to have a different boyfriend yeah. and it's all going to be fine. Yeah. So, yes, and everyone has to act differently in the manner that fits in with the expectations my dad has for me. But, yeah, if you do take it seriously, then Damien Dark would never believe any of this. Is he going to believe that Nora has somehow brainwashed Legends to bring her champagne or whatever they were doing? Brainwash Sarah into being essentially a waitress and... And all that stuff. And then you wonder, well, what would it be like if John Constantine and Damien Dark ever meet? And this is them meeting. This is what you see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sitcom uh, thing where he's pretending to be his daughter's fiancé. 
<laughs> I just thought it was a very well done episode that one and, and then to tie it all in with them dropping into TV and puppets at the end as well just <laughs> adds that extra layer of oh well I didn't see this bit coming so yeah that was superly well done but yeah yeah, Madonna. Yeah. I hope it means that we still get him back at some point. I don't want Damien Dark to be gone. Say he's not gone as well. No. Surely they'll find some way to just drop him in every now and again. Seems oh, that yeah, Neil McDonough is completely up for it. He just keeps coming back. And since opening portals to hell is now apparently so straightforward that Gary <laughs> is able to do it <laughs> like burning his arm off, then him having a fleeting visit wouldn't be that difficult to coordinate. Yeah, although it's not clear if those weapons destroy them or just send them back. Or is it? Maybe I missed it. I just assumed that it returned them to hell. Let's face it, whatever explanation they give us, we'll be happy with it. I must have sort of sent them back or whatever, because then the Fates had the other ones in the finale, didn't they? No, that's true. So they weren't completely gone, but I suppose they could rewrite the Fate thing, so maybe they were, I don't know. But you'd think so. It'll be the next time you see Damien Dark, you'll be running hell, that'll be the next time. <laughs> <laughs> It was good having him back, but yeah, the sitcom thing. You think that you're not going to accept it, and then you do. It's such a weird thing. Yeah, he can't know I'm a fairy godmother. He can't know that I'm with Ray because he doesn't like Ray that much. And it's all the sitcom stuff. Like, yeah, I'm lying to him about my job. I'm lying to him about my boyfriend. It's imperative that he doesn't find out. It's like an episode of Bewitched or something. <laughs> and when you think that this show began with a renegade time traveller recruiting a team of, of misfit superheroes to defeat an immortal warlord to save his murdered wife and child <laughs> it's like how did we get from that to here it's because season one didn't happen you're supposed to believe it didn't happen you just ignore it yeah it's not in the continuity is it it's the most that you get is that rip used to own the ship and that's it well, they, <laughs> i think that's about as far it as it goes yeah. because when astra thought she had john's coin it's like who the hell is vandal savage and then they sort of throw him away at the end yeah, yeah. but even then we had him was it not last season that they brought him back he turned was up it the in season the last before? episode yeah. 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 Ray like playing jenga or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like they know they know what we think of season one and they're happy to make fun of it and we're all happy to let them because we all know but we're all here now it's fine but they've earned it at this point they're allowed to poke fun at themselves they needed yeah. to have season one so they could turn it into the show that we all love basically I can't even remember what we were fighting about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> neither do we we choose not to we just ignore it it's fine so what did we think of Bayrat new character introduced as if he'd been there all along. I thought they did a great job. Right from the first episode, he felt lived in. He felt like he'd been there since whenever Zari first turned up. Because he immediately had such natural chemistry with everybody in the cast. And there was a dynamic that was set up there between them all that was as if that it kind of functioned over a number of years. How the hell he pulled that off, I'll never know. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That was the main thing I was quite concerned about going into this season. Because the whole point of him is that he is a character who as far as legends are concerned they've got well like two three years of traveling with him whereas we don't know anything about him at all but yeah it really felt like he'd always been there and the way that the other characters were interacting with him certainly spoke of people who had been together for quite some time and knew each other really really well i don't know if he knows any of the cast sort of off screen before he was put into the role because like you say the chemistry was there immediately that they must have just done a really really good job of welcoming him in and writing it so that he did feel like he had been part there the whole time. I'm the same as you, Andrew, where I thought, 
oh, I'm not going to warm to this character because it's just someone brand new that's been dropped right in and we're supposed to treat him like he's been there for ages. It's not going to work. And it totally did. It reminded me of Dawn and Buffy a bit, actually, because they did a really good job of mm, making yeah. it seem like she had been there the whole time when she was first introduced. Apart from the fact that in Buffy, it was more of a mystery as to why she was there. So there was always that component. There was always that component of you sitting there being like, what is she? Who is she? This why is right. she? Yeah. But when she would be interacting with the rest of the cast, again, it would feel like, yeah, she's been here the whole time. And I guess it's just good acting. <laughs> Maybe it's just, oh, this must be really hard. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just you get told that, yeah, you have a long-standing relationship with this person. And they do. But they would have to cast someone who obviously bounces off the others really well. They'd have to do like a chemistry test and stuff. So, yeah, you and Nate are going to be good pals. So we're going to have to make sure that you and Nick Zeno get along really well, and they obviously did, so yeah, it was great. Well, I imagine that they would have been aware of the potential problems that we just mentioned, so there was probably a particular effort made to circumvent them and make his inclusion feel natural and organic and not something completely jarring. Yeah, it was good, and they sort of didn't have the... We'll do the Bayrad episode early on to make it clear that he's the new guy. It's just he folded into everything. Well, they did stuff with him. They did the family dinner that he went to with Nate, and that's where you get Zari 2.0, who we will definitely get to. <laughs> yeah, I liked Bayrad a lot because sometimes it can be rough when you're going to be welcoming a new character, especially if they're supplanting another one. With the legends being the way it is, like you say, it's sort of the workplace comedy. It all works on the team dynamic and how everyone gels with each other. So if you start throwing lots of different elements into the mix. That's when you can mess up the chemistry. And they definitely didn't do that there. And I'm glad that it looks like he's staying as well. I warmed to him to the extent that I was like, oh, please don't just have him sort of fade out at the end. That would be really <laughs> brutal. You know, like, yeah. oh, we'll fix the timeline, everyone. Oh, there he goes. And everyone forgets about him. It's like, no, don't do that. I'm glad that they sort of found a workaround to keep him in the timeline. Yeah, well, his very appearance is the fact that the timeline's been fixed. Mm. It was always Zari 1.0's mission to save her family and she yeah. managed it so that's why Bayrad's there instead of her at that point which it's done really well and yeah I thought he was great right from the off I think they did some really good stuff with him in that first episode the documentary one which I thought was really nice touch they just the yeah we're good at this time traveling documentary <laughs> <laughs> We're going to show how ridiculous this is and then expose it as fake so that no one believes any of this is real ever again. Great plot line. Liked it. Because I thought, oh, how are the legends going to deal with celebrity status? And they immediately reject it and move on. And I thought that was important as well because the last season obviously ended with Hayworld, which is this magical theme park, so everybody has to believe. So you get to this point where it's the world at large has to believe in magic now, which doesn't gel with the other shows that are set in this universe. Mm. So the fact that they're doing an episode where it ends with them basically turning around to the camera and saying, you random bystander in the world thought this was real? Well, you're wrong. So everyone can go believing it was all a hoax. And then (laughs) you preserve the continuity across all the TV shows because no one believes that magic or time travel are real things. So it's a good way of Still having that plot, but also having it have no wider consequences. It does make a change, yeah, for the writing to do that, because normally yeah. it's very clumsily dealt with. Yeah, it's like after Invasion, where no one's talking about the fact there was literally aliens in the street. Yeah, and I mean, we've argued about that continuity, especially now that all the universities are smashed together, all the shows exist on the same plane, so it's very difficult for that continuity. Yeah, 
So Legends is just like, yeah, we're not going to really worry about it. And most of the episodes aren't really set in the present day anyway. And anything that does gets kind of fixed. So the whole Loom of Fate stuff, I imagine that'll be forgotten. Although there's never a real point where they establish that they got rid of the Loom of Fate influence entirely. They just kind of stop it, but they don't seem to. Yeah, there was a sort of throwaway line of, oh, without the Loom, people started going back to their base instincts and their memories started to come back and were restored and chaos because it was sort of lines about what happened in those four months. It was sort of people got their memories back and had two conflicting sets of memories. There was chaos and pandemonium, so then everyone started wearing the watches in order to guide them. That was a bit clunky to deal with the end of the loom. Although it's after that, when they shut down Gideon. Yes. Does everyone still remember the fact that they used to just do whatever a watch told them to do? Yeah, all these watches. Someone going, why have I got this watch that doesn't work? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Why am I because... wearing a watch? I was going to wear those lenses that don't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Am I going to buy the lenses? Am I going to buy the watch? <laughs> yeah. Ah. Which device? They're just Fates, on like... Tell me which I should buy. Uh, yeah. They're just on Endgadget or whatever <laughs> review site they're on. They're like, lenses versus watch. Both of them subjugate yeah. your freedom, but one of them is better than the other. It's like, we're going to weigh this up on price point. We're going to weigh it up on how much of your freedom you lose. We're going to test <laughs> How much the of your free life. will you hand over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> battery life that's an important one the watch is a little bit cheaper so maybe you want to go with that if you just watch is slightly cheaper and the lenses are a bit buggy you may end up in a coma (laughs) suspended in a ceiling all the watch is going to do is tell you what to have for lunch which you know makes it easier for you you don't have to make decisions anymore how good is that Uh, hey watch what should i have for dinner yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it isn't clear if they actually fix that to the point where no one's going to remember it I imagine that will be addressed at some point. I don't know. Like I say, I, I remember the line about once the loom had gone, but like you say, the watches are yeah. after the loom being gone. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty much with both of you on that. It certainly seems like a major thing to be left hanging. Well, given the number of continuity rewrites that various Arrowverse shows have had, but it's possible they might just carry on and not think about it. So I hope it's it's something that that is addressed because I want to constantly be able to hold up examples of why this show is my (laughs) favourite. So you can't have them over on Supergirl or Flash being like, remember when we were all paying attention to these watches? Or it's also possible that because of the very premise of Legends um, involves time being rewritten on a regular basis, then there's this tacit assumption that we should just expect any reset at the end of an episode to solve any potential continuity issues. Yeah, could be. Maybe we're just thinking too much about it. It's something that would always annoy me in Doctor Who, though. At the end of last season, the whole planet was taken away to another area of space and no one's that bothered anymore. Everyone's just back to their normal lives at the beginning of the next one. Well, this is the season where Britain had a zombie invasion at one point. <laughs> Although that was undone, to be fair. So, Zari, who we thought might not be around this season, is back. And she's very, very different. I thought she was brilliant. Zari 2.0 was amazing. It's such a testament to Tala Ash's ability as an actor, the fact that she got to create this completely distinct character who... I would often forget was supposed to be a different version of the same person. It is a sort of testament to the show that they seem to be able to get actors that are able to turn their hand to that, to playing multiple realities of a character. 
It was very, very neat. I liked the fact that you go from the one that, that's been through this terrific timeline, who's come out a fighter, dedicated, hasn't had time for sort of whimsy and the finer things in life, replaced with someone who's a social media influencer, <laughs> not a care in the world. Only care is the number of followers and whether people are behaving and, and following her thing. At the beginning of the season, she's doing stuff like, oh, I'm going to go and launch my scent, my perfume range, and all these sorts of things that she's doing. And then you bring that down to towards the end of the season where this completely new character again has been dropped in, gets all that development and starts to see that she can be a hero as well, and she can go out and do these things. With such dedication, I think, is, is very impressive. Was it not the perfume caused blindness or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem with that. I thought it was brilliant. But yeah, she they're not a care in a world thing. I think that's a bit of a harsh comment, because it's that typical, this is the image of myself I present to the outside. Mm. I make it look like I have it all together, that there's no care in the world, no problems, but she's this deeply insecure and lonely person. Oh yeah, I was talking about that sort of initial when you see her in the going back to the family episode, the image that you're given is of oh, social media influencer with not a care sort of thing in comparison to what you saw as she faded out in the end of the last season. Yeah, and it's the thing of, okay, we're going to introduce this new version of the character. How different could she possibly be from the original version? But the original version, she's very tomboyish, for want of a better word. I mean... Zari 2.0 calls her 1.0 self, essentially a tomboy at one point, doesn't she? She dresses like a teenage boy, I think <laughs> is the line. So I don't think that's an unfair statement to make about her. But we can have this fashionable, socially adept person who really cares about making herself look good and really cares what other people think about her and all these things. Whereas the original Zari wouldn't really let it phase her too much. She was too cool for that. And whereas this one is much more insecure, or insecure in different ways. No, definitely. And they still use that skill set. For example, like the episode where they set up the sorority and they've got to organise a party, they've got to get people there. And she works through all of that and manages to convince people to come. I like that. I loved her recruitment drive for that. Ah, her, yes. Her, she sits and she texts the girl with all the gifts. It's like, new sorority you in? It was, it was the Beeble gift. That's what got me. The it was the, <laughs> Yeah, it was a sort of thumbs up. And the Beeble come with me. Yeah, And then they just walk <laughs> off without a word being said to each other. It was just, yeah. Yeah. And you know, all these things, they just... Obviously, you need these missions that suit the particular new characters. They have to have that episode where it's like, okay, here's why I'm useful to the team. And it's, we need to sneak in an exclusive party. And that's why we need Zari 2.0. Mm. But you can imagine that mission playing out in a different way in another season. Just probably with a bit more punching. So it's not that, oh yeah, if this character hadn't been there, they'd have been totally screwed. They would have muddled through somehow, but it was applying that particular skill set to that situation, which I thought was great. I was actually quite surprised about how much I liked her as a character, because generally when you have characters who are completely self-centred and utterly full of themselves, I tend to utterly despise them. And after seeing what, what kind of person Zarya had effectively become, I was actually really disappointed, because I really liked the original Zarya. Okay, like, you got rid of her and replaced her with this, <laughs> with, with this obnoxious, self-absorbed, Twit, who's barely aware of the world around her. But after a while, she kind of grew on me. Uh, again, which is a testament to the skill uh, characterization that the series is constantly displaying. What you said about what your initial impression of her was, I think that's exactly what they wanted you to think in that first episode she appeared. 
when she first appeared, it's like, oh God, it's this. Look at this. She only cares about social media and all that other stuff. This is going to be painful, but it doesn't take long for them to start peeling off the layers for you to see what she can be and what is beneath that surface. And then you do have the standard, for some reason, our parents like the brother more than they like me, despite the fact that I've worked hard to accomplish so much more, whereas he just kind of breezes through life. We've seen that in so many things, like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Amy's brother. Although Amy's brother is just amazing at everything, which is really annoying. Unless you happen to like Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I'm indifferent to him. I think that's about the only thing I've seen him in, really, other than Mary Poppins Returns, which wasn't a huge fan of either. But that's a complete sidetrack. So it's that alteration to the character and then getting you to accept them by saying, no, no, there is something worthwhile here. We're not just doing this for a gag. We're doing this because it's important to build this new version from the ground up. And it was amazing how she walked on screen. She did the voice in the higher register, trying to that kind of shallowish sounding voice. She's all glammed up. You're not used to seeing that bizarre. You're used to seeing the hair tied back, the flannel shirt, no makeup. And this is just the total opposite. And then they spent the whole season showing you why that was equally valid. And I think it was one of the writers or one of the producers said at the end of the season when they were deciding what to do with the fact that they have two Zaris and they decided we'll keep Zari 2.0 because they didn't want to merge the two or they didn't want to get rid of her because that would be suggesting that there's something wrong with her. This is wrong. And whereas this, this new person with different experiences, different life choices is equally valid and deserves that chance to exist as well. Whereas there's nothing to fix here, I think is what they were trying to say. Like you said earlier on, Zari 1.0 had achieved what she wanted to achieve. She wanted to have that life. She wanted her brother to be alive. That was her whole mission up until that point. So she seems content that that's what she's done. Yeah. And I like seeing them interact with each other as well, just to show you how completely different mm. they were. Zari 1.0 was like, I need a computer to solve this problem. And then she takes the phone and it's like, what are you doing? It triggers the same part of your brain as heroin does or something like that. <laughs> phone screens. Oh, what a line. I can't remember if it was specifically heroin they said, but it was some kind of drug. Chris, you only watched it an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> don't test me, man. Don't <laughs> test me. I don't think it was heroin. I think it was, they were talking about weed or cannabis or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Weed or cannabis? Whatever. Weed or cannabis? <laughs> Um, if you wanted to show yourself as being not down with the kids it's like yeah weed or cannabis um, yeah we don't want injecting that weed or cannabis yes exactly (laughs) don't don't be doing any of that with your teaspoons and things kids (laughs) behave don't do drugs (laughs) listen to neil before pod the last place that you should come for advice i love some of the little details they did with zari 2.0 Things like her taking forever in the bathroom. I wasn't aware the Wave Rider only had one bathroom, but I do find it kind of hilarious. I do like that it's got all this space, even a room dedicated to mixed treasure stash. (laughs) And they've not put in an additional bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, it's when she takes hours just getting ready and everyone out there is just bursting for the toilet. It's really funny. I suppose it's because the ship wasn't ever really designed to be lived on, but it was more just a ship was sent on missions. Why is it so big then? Because of the number of agents that they might need to deal with various time problems and therefore need more than one toilet or large historical artifacts to bring back I don't know (laughs) they've got an adjustable number of chairs 
They've got an adjustable number of chairs up by the cockpit, so why don't they have an adjustable number of bathrooms? I'm just saying. I'm sure they could install a bathroom if they really wanted to. Could melt down some of that gold. A golden lavy. <laughs> a golden toilet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a hilarious moment. And the one I talked about where they had to sneak into the party, the Marie Antoinette party, where she got herself all dolled up and she had that fan and she kept annoying Eva with it. She kept like, opening <laughs> it in her face. <laughs> That was a great moment. It was a bit where she walks off as well. It's like, we're going this way. She's like, I was just doing a runaway turn. (laughs) (laughs) Every time she opened her mouth, it was just gold. It was so good. That was another one where you had an actor playing two roles, where you had Courtney Ford playing Mary Antoinette as well. Yeah, but I mean, that wasn't quite as nuanced a performance. No, 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 not (laughs) quite. But yes, that was quite silly. She was deliberately being silly. On that one, I don't understand. Are you saying that uh, there's no subtlety in playing a, a very others a Dr. Jack's end? <laughs> <laughs> and they acknowledge it right away, where it's just, Nora, you should do 23 and Me or whatever it is and check your heritage. Was <laughs> <laughs> there like, any actual reason why they had her playing Mary Antoinette as well, or was it just for the hell of it? I think it was just for the hell of it. I think they just, we need someone to do this role, why not her? Part of me was like, at the last minute, did an actor pull out and go, oh, sorry, can't do that. I've just been offered something better than playing Mary Antoinette, so I've just been offered Batwoman, I can't do it. I've just been offered (laughs) Batwoman, I've got to go off and do something else. You know, I've got a Colgate commercial coming up, I can't play this bit part on your show. And then they went, "Uh, who have we got? Uh, There we go, we'll put Courtney in it. Yeah, why not? It's not the weirdest thing they've done. We'll make a joke in it and it'll be fine. It's legends. No one will notice. <laughs> it's fine. Carry on. <laughs> no one will blink. <laughs> yeah. I think now that Zari 2.0 will be on the team full time, I think the novelty of her being different has worn off, so they'll need to extend that a bit further next season because this season it was more of we were just kind of having a laugh with how different she was each week. It's, ah, uh, she won't eat donuts because she doesn't cheat. She doesn't do cheat days and all that kind of stuff. Because carbs. Yeah, because carbs. Even though Zari 1.0 is, yeah, was fine. Didn't care, I guess, <laughs> in the same way. Yeah, I'm on a CW show. I'm, I'm attractive. It's fine. I don't care. I can eat donuts. But I thought, given Zari 1.0 that, I really hate saying this 2.0 and 1.0 nonsense. It's exhausting. That goodbye they gave her was really good. She got to say goodbye to Nate. She got to say goodbye to her brother. She got to say goodbye to the team. She got to leave on her own terms. So they gave her closure which I didn't necessarily expect to happen. I kind of thought they were going to merge the two into one entity, but then reading what the producer said about it, that makes sense to me that they wouldn't go down that road. Plus, the original version's there for them to trot out whenever they feel like it, because she's still in the totem, isn't she? Yeah, there's nothing stopping them using her again if they wanted to, or doing a bit like what they did before, where they go into the totem to consult with her or speak to her, that kind of thing. Yeah, And another one where they potential issues that they'd have with merging them it'd be that it would cheapen how far Zari version 2 has come as a person after the time that she spent the legends and it would just render all that completely meaningless yeah so they made the right call i think yeah definitely although i think it was a bit of a contrived reason to put zari 1.0 away there was probably a lot more they could have mined from that just having them both around it'd be a logistical nightmare in terms of filming but I mean, how many times have we seen scenes with multiple Harrison Wellsies on The Flash for multiple episodes at a time, and it's seemed okay? Well, that's it. The Flash has used all the multiple people budget, so... (laughs) (laughs) They just need a stand-in all the time, just standing on the other side. Yeah, it must be a headache to film those things. I'm not sure if you ever watched Orphan Black. 
But that was a series where the premise of it was that uh, half the cast were clones of each other. So a majority of the characters were all played by the same woman. And there was multiple iterations of her in pretty much every single scene. So what they did then was uh, they film one scene with one version of her, then do her up as the other character. But they were able to program the uh, movement of the cameras to repeat the exact same motion that they'd previously gone through. All right, okay. And so Tatiana Maslany was able to perform as the other characters on the camera, capturing her being there as if she was there in the first take. So this is a completely side incidental thing that I'm kind of rambling about, but there are ways around filming multiple characters being played by the same person. Yeah, plus you wouldn't have to have them on screen together all the time. No, certainly not. Because you could have her spend a lot of time with John, which I thought was hilarious, and then you have the other one spend a lot of time with Nate, which I was less engaged by, actually. But I don't like Nate that much. I never have. For some reason, the guy just rubs me up the wrong way. I don't know what it is. Just every time I see him, I'm like, ah, I don't like you that much. For some reason. <laughs> I think he's just got one of those faces. It's not his fault. It's my fault. <laughs> it's just, I don't believe he's a historian. He's the CW version of a historian. It's like, no, no, you're not. You don't work you, don't. you never worked at a library. Look at you. <laughs> just me. No. <laughs> I mean, I'd say the same about Nate every season, where I, f- I think until partway through the season, they forget that he's supposed to have superpowers. <laughs> and then they go, oh, hang on, why have we still got three grand in the FX budget? I thought you were going to do some... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, we forgot to use Nate's powers. Oh, uh, right, okay, we're going to do a few scenes. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. They won't have to spend as much on effects next season, I guess, if Ray's not around. Yeah, there'll be less Atom flying about scenes. Yeah, because everyone, except from, I suppose, Bayrad slash Zari with their totem, everyone except them and... And any magic MacGuffins that go on, and a lot of Wave Rider above landscapes. And any time Mick uses flamethrower. There you go. We're adding up. Actually, we can see where they're spending the budget now. We we take it all back. But there seems to be less powers, you know, like fire. I mean, you can start a fire easily enough. There seems to be less powers on the team now. Depends who they bring in next season, I guess. That's true. So, Charlie, we find out she's not just a random shapeshifter that they scooped up. She is indeed a fate. One of the three fates. And there's this whole loom of fate thing, and she scattered it across the multiverse, but then there was no multiverse. Has, in the history of dangerous artifacts, has splitting it into different pieces and hiding it in different places ever worked? did like the twist on this where she had scattered it not only across different places but across time and the multiverse but it like she had still done, never worked she had done it quite a bit there to scatter it to be fair she didn't expect them to merge all the multiverse together and put it all on the one earth so yeah yeah it's, i don't think it's ever worked i think you're spot on and even then destroying stuff never seems to quite work either because when they want it back it will always come back I'm always an advocate for putting stuff inside the sun. Even if it won't destroy it, people can't <laughs> Just get it. throw it into the sun. Well, you have yeah. a spaceship. Throw it into the sun. You have a spaceship and you have a guy who's able to build tech and rockets and such so he could fire it into the sun. And if it doesn't destroy it, then people are going to find it difficult to get a hold of it. You've still got to go on your MacGuffin hunt to put it into the rocket to fire it into the sun, though. I'm just saying. Well, not if you do that in the first place rather than scattering it around so that people can find it. The first thing you should do is put it into the sun. When you have this thing that can doom the world and you want to get rid of it, the sun. First yeah, but, but what if putting it into the sun dooms the sun? Well, that's a different issue. 
<laughs> consequences. Another son, another son light years away that you don't care about. Oh, yeah, that's true. Just uh, okay. Why not? <laughs> Throw it into a black hole. Ooh, there we go. Then that's it'll just right. end up on someone's bookcase. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Ooh, reference. Ooh. <laughs> so it was clear they put this in so that Maisie Richards and Sellers could get a really good send off, turn her into something like really important, and I was all for it. I thought it was done really well. I think in the last couple of episodes they didn't give her an awful lot of time, but I like the fact that she defeated one of her sisters after the other one had been killed by forgiving her and giving her free will, which is hilarious because that's what she was taking away from everyone. So she was like, you have a life, don't know how much of it's left, off you go, live it. That's your punishment. That was a good ending. In a way, the fates were as much slaves to, well, fate as a people because they were entities who exist to serve a purpose. And that's the only reason why they were alive in the first place. It was to spin the loom of fate and create the threads of people's lives. But they didn't have any existence of their own, which then traps them as much as people were in the fate that they created. Yeah, and the way Charlie reacted to that was by living out an existence as a punk rocker, which worked for her. She decided to embrace the fact that she has no purpose and enjoyed that, whereas the other two couldn't find a way to deal with that so they just decided to work really hard to bring it together and then subjugate humanity again because that's what they felt like they should do it worked as a plot I thought it was really good and I like Charlie's final moments where she was in the 70s back at the head of her band singing a a punk rock cover of that Mr. Parker's cul-de-sac song that was a good one (laughs) I didn't pick up that's what she was singing (laughs) yeah it took me a couple of tries but it was funny (laughs) I like that you're like hang on is that wait what? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just go with it. It's just the kind of wonderfully mental thing that they do just for the hell of it. Yeah. And it's touches like that that make the show so much fun. Yeah. And I think Charlie was used really well, especially in relation to Astra in the sorority episode, because Astra was getting frustrated that no one was listening to her. Most of her suggestions were, let's maim this person, which, yeah, you don't want to listen to that, but... It was the idea that the rest of the team were predisposed to ignore her, which made her more murderous and frustrated. But it was Charlie like, okay, if you manage your message a little bit, and she had to point out everyone should listen to Astra on this one. She knows what she's doing here. So it was good that because she was the most recent outsider of the team. She was the one that wasn't trusted last year. So she understands where that's coming from and why Astra's feeling the way that she is and how frustrated she is. So she is in that position to reach out to her in that way and make her feel included. It's almost the role of the last new guy. When a new guy comes on, you have to help him acclimate in some way. It's your job to pull the same pranks that were pulled on you. Yeah, that's it. Again, it's the workplace comedy thing. It's like, yes, now I don't get all the pranks. It's this person that now gets all the pranks played on you. Just in but, this case, it's no one will trust you and, until you prove yourself. But yeah, but I thought it was good. I thought that she fit in really well in that way and I think the way that she just kind of moves around the team and has different smaller dynamics with different people Mm. I mean I don't think for a minute they wanted her to be one of the fates last season I think that's a new thing oh yeah yeah absolutely because last season the purpose of her appearance was really to give Maisie Richardson Sellers a plausible way of coming back after Amaya left the team and they had that whole episode where she was trying to fix the timeline but was doing it really clumsily. If anyone would understand how intricate and how precise you have to be when rewriting reality in that way, 
it would be her. Mm. So the fact that she was clumsily going about now doesn't make sense. Yeah, but that's just one of those things that we quietly ignore. For it is legends. Because <laughs> it's legends and it was funny. And we got to see the different sort of parodies of TV shows that they did in that episode, as opposed to the ones they did this season. And the whole Fates thing, I think it was really good because, especially at the moment, with everything that's going on in the world, this whole debate they were having on, does the human race deserve free will? And they leaving that an open question. I don't think the show was equipped to really explore it in massive detail, but I don't think they were ever going to because... The legend stance was, yes, we do deserve free will because we deserve to make mistakes and then learn from them. I guess the question is, are we really learning from those mistakes? And that's not a question that's answered. But basically, because the legends think that we should have free will, then we should have free will. But there is a reasonable argument that can be made about the fact that would the world maybe be a better place if some higher being just made all of the decisions for us all? Maybe. We don't know. But I guess it's the, are we as a species learning yeah, from our mistakes? Well, one of the most common themes in classical mythology, with the various pantheons of deities that rule over humanity, because there are certain ways that they decree that humankind is supposed to behave and supposed to live their lives. And though completely regardless of whether or not people do what they're supposed to do, they end up in abject misery anyway because these omnipotent beings just completely screw with humans because they think it's fun. And if there were some kind of great overseer dictating how we should live our lives, then I really don't see things playing out any differently than that. Well, the point that was made in this show is humanity has been left to its own devices for however long it's been. And look at how the things have turned out. It's not Hmm. is it? And the legends were making a case for free will on a very personal level. That scene where they were trying to convince Charlie that free will was a good thing. Things like, would the Sarah-Ava relationship exist without free will? Would the Beatles exist without free will? And the way she counters all these things is quite funny. It's like, yeah, here's why the thing you're suggesting is terrible. And then she doesn't really have a counter for the relationship thing because, yeah, that's great and there's no countering that with anything bad, really. But I thought it was an interesting argument. And I thought it was an interesting debate that was kind of going on in my head. It's probably because of the fact that the world is in this situation it's in, which makes you think about... Because things aren't great at the moment, and it's just this constant onslaught of things getting worse. And things going backwards, and things that we are supposed to have resolved by now not being resolved, and things like that. I mean, I guess that wasn't the plan at the time, but it ended up accidentally being something that's very, very current. And it's an interesting debate. I remember back in Angel, where they did this whole thing where the Jasmine character managed to enthrall the whole world. And the world were at peace. And then when they killed her, everything went back to just being normal after that. And it was suggested, you destroy world peace. I mean, she eats like 10 people a day. Isn't that worth it? And then they're like, we took down a nefarious global domination scheme, didn't we? Right? didn't we? (laughs) There's that little bit of doubt there. Did we really do the right thing there? Did we do the good thing? Did we do the best thing? And I think the episodes leave it open, which is the right thing. Obviously it's resolved in the sense that we're reclaiming free will because we deserve the right to make mistakes. Fine. But I guess it's the demonstration of the capacity to learn from those mistakes. That's the problem. 
or the potential issue? I did like the the potential bad stakes that they exhibited here were between obviously things like war and aggression were in there. However, the hall of bad choices <laughs> in the museum was a particular highlight. I think I picked out glitter being one of the, <laughs> the bad mistakes that humanity had made. <laughs> And that made me laugh. I, I like shake like that. weights and uh, shake weights, uh, pogo sticks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course Cisco with the Fong song. Uh, <laughs> a hall of bad choices. Yeah, I would love to know what they brainstormed for the hall of bad choices. Just the full list of what came out the writers' room. <laughs> going right, what are we putting in the hall of bad choices? Yeah, I mean the free will debate. Am I just being like overly fatalistic about the fact that I don't? Know, I don't believe that we could be trusted to, or we as a species or those in power could be trusted to make decisions, or is there some merit to that argument? Well, I think it's partially less the idea of whether or not humanity can be trusted to make some decisions, also partially to do with the appeal of being absolved of responsibility, just because the idea of living your life and knowing that there won't be any negative consequences to anything that you do is something that would appeal to a great many people because life is messy and confusing and at times completely screwed up due to things that are completely out with your control. So the idea of not having any responsibility for anything that goes on, however big or small, could be argued to be quite a good thing. There's also the ongoing argument in our world at the moment that free will is in fact an illusion which is to a degree quite true because like you said there's things that happen that are completely out with your control so you get to make choices about i don't know what you're having for dinner or what you're going to watch on tv well maybe not chris because he's watching some crappy documentary about big brother but (laughs) (laughs) do you take my point you make those kinds of choices but the big large-scale political decisions and all the manipulation that gets done in the media and all that stuff is out with your control and there's nothing you can really do about it so we are kind of stuck in a messy situation because of the fact that you may not have that much power over your own life or over the society that you live in So I guess the fact that the fates in this show were essentially treating humanity like pets. So we'll feed you, we'll water you, we'll keep you the baseline of entertained and you don't give us any trouble. And that's fine. That's fine for a lot of people because they just really enjoy the simplicity, I guess. And it's maybe a whole season thing where you have that debate, explore that debate where... I don't know. You have every episode of Legends of Tomorrow in a given season is about them travelling to a time and or place where they have to demonstrate why them making choices is the best thing for that situation to play out. But they didn't have time to do that because they threw this in at the end. Chris, are you any views on this free will thing? I'm really interested to hear what other people think about it because it had my mind spinning the whole time. I think I came into this podcast unprepared for uh, philosophical discussion, to be honest. Yeah, I agree to an extent. I think they did pretty well in this show to explain that in the past they had given more free reign in overwatching the course of sort of humanity decline. They've come up with a, a harsher method of management. And like you say, they did keep people sustained during it by giving them sort of the trashy TV to watch. The mush. The mush. The green mush. 
Which perhaps should be the sponsor for this week's podcast. <laughs> we're not good enough for blue mush. But we're not good enough for blue mush, mush, but I'm thinking green or grey mush. So uh, today's podcast was brought to you by Green Mush Direct. <laughs> Use the offer code NEIL for 13% off your first jar. There you go. Visit greenmush.com. <laughs> which I'm now seeing if is available on the internet. But yeah, I think it's an interesting concept, considering that this is being brought up in legends of all places, of whether free will is a good thing, whether having people decide and control humanity in that way is better than us having free will. There's a hell of a debate that I'm maybe not quite prepared for at this time of night. <laughs> it's maybe something I was just thinking about because of when it aired as well. Just no, definitely, yeah. Like you say, it's set at a time where, you know, you can look. And, I mean, the thing is, no matter what country you're in, except maybe a few exceptions, you can look at your country's leadership and think, really, are you the right person to be making these decisions? <laughs> There's also also the point that with the Thates Declaration that humanity was given free will and they completely screwed up, that implies that there is a right and a wrong way that you're supposed to be behaving. And if you're given free will, but with the proviso that you must use it in a certain way, then that defeats the whole point of having it in the first place. And the thing is, we live in a world where, as far as we know, free will is a given right, as in we've never not had it, so we can never really ask ourselves those questions about what if it was taken away from us. Or we can, because we have science fiction. We have fantasy. We have things where we can watch these things play out according to how these particular television writers foresee them, which is stranding people in a television show or three distinct television shows. Which, yeah, it's a take, a great take, I will say. And it has that underlying big question behind it that they're never going to explore fully because I guess they don't feel like they have the authority to answer that. But it's good enough that this team believes that they should make decisions for themselves, so they're going to fight for that right. And they do, and they win. So they get to go on making more mistakes. As a line that I remember from Crisis, when the Paragons are battling the Anti-Monitor at the dawn of time, I remember Sarah's mentioning that my team and I usually screw things up for the better. So even though they inevitably make horrendous mistakes in their decision-making, quite often it works out for the best in the long run, which is not the kind of thing that would ever take place if free will were removed and all action was merely dictated. That's a huge debate, completely massive, and there's no right answer to it. And obviously I'm not going to advocate for the... Maybe it's not obvious. It should be obvious that I'm not going to advocate for the removal of free will from the human race. I think free will is a good thing. I enjoy making whatever limited decisions I can make in my own life. I like doing that. I like knowing that when I make a huge mistake, it's my mistake and I made it and I have to fix it. And when I do something right, when I do something good, when I do something that works for people, again, that's me. I did that. It was down to my experiences informing a decision that I made. So, yeah, cool. But I do enjoy the idea that I can mull this over and think about the fact that what would it be like if I just was absolved of everything? every responsibility, all individuality really in that sense. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Big idea comes in this show and they frequently do. I think they just hide it behind the fact that this is really silly. We're going to do a Friends level sitcom and maybe you won't think about it, which is kind of the idea, I suppose. But the other sort of idea it fed into, at least for me, was so they were trying to defy fate, but at the same time they were being told that certain things were inevitable. And I think that's ultimately what the zombie apocalypse episode was about. 
the fact is they were all going to come to an end at some point. If you're a time traveller, you can fly around time, you can cheat death for as long as you can, but ultimately it will come to you. And I think that's ultimately the lesson that Sarah learns in that episode. Someone who's died and been resurrected twice you know, <laughs> kind of accepts the fact that, no, no, there will be an end at some point, and I'm kind of okay with that as long as the life that I'm leading is the one that I want to lead. And that was a good message, I think. A healthy message to have. Yeah, nothing lasts forever, but that's okay. I think that's uh, about as positive a message as you can take away from it. So that's why she wasn't feeling upset about the fact that she was going to be torn apart by zombies. Just, yeah, that's fine. It'll happen. Nothing I can do about it. So in that sense, fate is a real thing. I mean, you don't know what that fate will be and the choices you make can change how you're going to end up, but you are going to end up somewhere. You will come to an end at some point. It's really deep. I'm getting a bit too deep. This is uh, uh, before pod. You will come to an end at some time. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Possibly sooner than you think. The end is nigh. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Seize the day because it might be your last. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. Jesus. <laughs> We've been in lockdown too long, everyone. Oh, that's- <laughs> I tend this podcast edited lockdown is a thing that we've all forgotten about. Really missing the pub, Craig. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, this is usually the kind of philosophical musings I get onto after about six yeah, pints. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not six pints in. That's why I can't, I can't re- work out my philosophical mind. As we're recording, we're supposed to be at the opening night party of the Edinburgh Film Festival. Uh, this time of night, we are supposed to be smashed <laughs> on free beer. It's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'd been looking forward to it since last year's party. Where you weren't drinking? Or were you? I can't remember. That was dancing. I remember there was yeah. dancing. No, that was the Kaylee. That yeah, was well, Kaylee. Yeah, Kaylee yeah, was yeah, definitely well, dancing. I wasn't drinking because I was driving home that time, but this time I was planning to arrange to stay in Edinburgh so, so I could enjoy the, the full fruits of the celebration. Oh, one person we haven't talked about is Mick. Mick has a daughter now, which I thought was really funny. I liked his unique approach to trying to be a dad inserting himself into our life using time travel and then ultimately learning no you mm-hmm. can't solve this quickly you have to put the hours in you have to put the time in his heart's in the right place but he's doing it wrong i like that i also like that again it wasn't a solve by the end of an episode it showed that he couldn't cheat it it was exactly that sort of thing i was kind of like oh please don't let it be that they do a montage of him jumping back and forward and at the end it's like oh i love you dad and i was like gonna go oh no so the fact that they show it backfire a bit is neatly She's done. great as well. Mm, they're very nice play. And I always forget <laughs> that Mick is a novelist. <laughs> Until they bring him back up again, I'm like, oh yeah, of course he is. He's another one that's weird to think how far he's come. Well, again, Origins in another show, being a villain in yeah. Flash to being dropped off. I think they only dropped like a hint at Flash putting him in prison during the show again and I was like oh yeah and there was even a point in the first season where Rip basically tells him yeah I didn't really want you but I kind of had to take you because you and Snarf are kind of a package deal yeah (laughs) (laughs) him and Sarah are the only two OG members of the team left yeah and I think Mick's daughter will be his exit strategy at some point Mm. I think that's maybe what they're trying to put in place maybe they think they won't have Dominic Purcell forever I'm surprised they still have him after so long. Well, maybe he's just enjoying himself too much. Maybe it's just like, they've always got beer on set, I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just real beer. Real beer and plenty of sandwiches, I'm fine. (laughs) I would imagine that Mick is quite a fun character to play. Yeah. And the way he's deployed is usually very good. 
Yeah, they deploy them very, very well. And then when they had them drop in on the Trapped in TV episode, I was like, where is he? And then he pops up as the villain at the end on the Star Trek takeoff one. I was like, great. (laughs) With the massive hairdo. And yeah, I was like, perfect. Amazing mane. So did you read the thing about that scene? No. So Dominic Purcell's never seen Wrath of Khan. So what he was doing is he was doing an impression of the director's impression of Khan <laughs> for that scene. Amazing. <laughs> Doesn't that just sum up this show completely? Just <laughs> So I'm going to do an impression of Ricardo Montalban and you're going to do your version of that. And then that was it. But that was great. Brilliant. So, yeah, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, the way Charlie kind of put people in the roles that they talked about when they were doing the kind of round the table, what would you like if we got the loom working and John gets to look after Astra, Astra gets to be with her mum, Sarah and Ava get to be captains of a ship where no one ever dies and they never lose. Zara Nate was wanted to hang out, wasn't he? Nate just wanted to hang out with his pals. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of that was a nice little touch. One thing I was wondering, so we've had three seasons of magic being the thing that they're doing. Time travel and magic, so... I think it is a good time for a change, and it seems that they're bringing aliens in next season, which doesn't seem all that surprising considering aliens are commonplace in this wider universe now, but apparently it's going to be sort of 50s sort of pulp aliens. I would expect nothing less. I thought it was hilarious where she was getting abducted and they were just walking away. I'm not sure that I've ever been quite that drunk on a night out <laughs> that I wouldn't notice one of my friends suddenly levitating in a pillar of white. Well, we'd never get to find out because we didn't get to go to the opening party this year. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> this, this was the year one of us was going to get abducted. Although you think it would have been? Party, yeah. We shouldn't answer that question on here because it'll end up being referenced as someone that nobody listening knows. Yes, exactly. Let's, <laughs> Let's carry on, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Question for offline. Who do you think it would have been? Who do you think it would have been, listeners? Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Which member of the Neil Before Pod team do you think would be abducted by aliens on the way home from the opening night party? They wouldn't abduct me. They'd see how much podcast editing I've got left to do. (laughs) Take him. He's useless. Doesn't do anything. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it is time for a change, considering how much magic we've had. And if John's still there, there'll be plenty of magic anyway. Yeah, it depends, doesn't it? Because the thing is, the initial premise in the first place, the time travel element, is always there throughout yeah. the show, which would normally be sort of the MacGuffin-y thing of another programme, is actually their sort of permanent piece. If aliens are going to be part of it, sounds cool. Bit of fun going back in time with aliens and playing around with things, so yeah. It has to be aliens that are active across history, I guess, in some way. Aliens trying to manipulate the timeline for malicious ends. Sounds familiar to another TV show that's rolling at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Fun Tune in for that podcast soon. <laughs> another time travel show. In the future. Yeah, or the future. past, depending on when this podcast is ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or how you've ordered your podcast and your podcast player. Yeah. What are you doing playing the most recent first, you mad person that you are? <laughs> You're messing with the timeline with powers that you do not comprehend. Although in this, it's fine. The timeline. In this case, it's fine because, yeah, we're probably well out of step with everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll see how that goes next season. I don't know if I've ever been that drunk on a night out. Probably. Let's be honest. I probably have been that drunk. Or maybe just not so, paying attention. So drunk you don't remember being probed. <laughs> well, yeah. It's probably best. Best to forget those things. Oh, yeah. 
So it's kind of a bit of a wrap-up. What were some of your funniest things that you enjoyed throughout the season? So, Andrew, um, start with you. Some of your favourites. Definitely one of my favourites was seeing Katie Lotz do a William Shatner impersonation. <laughs> that was, yeah. And sitting in the chair and speaking in the very odd and staccato diction that, that Kirk is renowned for. It was just great fun. Uh, another one that stuck right at the start of the season when they're having a party on the Wave Rider and Ava is trying to think about the best way of consoling Sarah about Oliver dying. And then talk about, about uh, a Hallmark card with the sentiment of, I'm sorry, the vigilante you're sleeping with, who is also sleeping with your sister at the same time, is now dead. Hallmark <laughs> card. <laughs> Genghis Khan on a scooter. That was something. On an electric scooter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the modern equivalent of horses. <laughs> great. In that party episode, I think it might be a different one, where they had the stripper fireman guy on the ship and he was just joining in in all the chat. He was giving advice for the mission, wasn't he, once everyone came back. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. I really like the sorority episode, although there's something the episode I didn't buy into, really. The weird part, you know, where they go into the quad, the university quad, and there's called a sign up for this club because you should sign up for this club because it's good and not nerdy at all. And then... Nate's walking about being like, yeah, I remember when I was at college. And this guy was like, can you drink a beer? Just throws him a beer. That would not happen. Do you want to pay five pounds for this beer? <laughs> well, it was just, yeah, I want you to gun this beer in the middle of this quad. I don't know how old you are. I mean, you are obviously like 40. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just really weird. I mean, that episode's strange in a lot of ways because we live in the UK. So we don't know what the Greek system is, really. I've only ever seen it kind of parodied in stuff. I've never seen a series take on it, so I don't know if it's actually worthwhile in any way. The only real-life perspective I have on it is from my brother-in-law, who is from Texas. And the guys that he was friends with at university absolutely despised all the frat guys and people like that. They just thought they were absolute contemptible morons. And you mentioned that the kind of stuff that you see in films and TV, it's not quite as over-the-top as you sometimes see it, but also not far off as well. I know there was a TV show that was about it called Greek that I never watched. I remember being dimly aware of it and completely disregarding it. Yeah, so I don't really understand that thing, but it is essentially, I don't know, is it a privileged elite on campus or something? I don't know. I know you have to pass a test or something again. It feels very cultish, at least from an outside perspective. If any listeners know anything about the Greek system and have been a part of it and really enjoyed it, let us know. Or even if you hate it, let us know. Because I'm curious to see how it actually worked. But certainly Dionysus, or Dion, was very progressive in that respect. He didn't want to discriminate against anybody. He didn't want anybody not be included. He just wanted to party, which is something. Yeah, it was nice to see a benevolent god, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it certainly makes a nice change from these omnipotent antagonists who just want to subjugate everybody and lord it all over them for the rest of time. Yeah, and the fact that the climactic sequence in the episode was a game of beer pong. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, in which a god is beaten by a blind chick. Yeah, but she could see the future, so... Yeah, but I mean the defeat and humiliation from his perspective. Yeah. That was a fun episode. I really enjoyed that episode. Chris, what are your favourite funny moments? Well, I've already said, having Damien Dart back, I thought that was quite fun. They had quite a few sort of different gags and bits and pieces through that. The whole bad choices in <laughs> the last episode was brilliant, putting all the stuff in there. I'm trying to think what else, because the they've done so many. The thong song, that was great. Action sequence to the thong song, great. And the fact that Cisco uh, was actually there, not the guy on the flash, the... Mm. Rapper, Cisco. I think you mentioned it earlier on, the perception of the karaoke V8, what was actually going on on stage. <laughs> I like that. 
sort of how she saw it being and then how everyone else was watching it. I'm trying to remember what Beeble moments we had this season. I normally always demand more Beeble. I think there was a couple of background bits, like the little gif that was sent. And the gif was great. There were I think the gif was there, and there was a couple of teddies that were yeah. about the place, which I still cannot believe are not merchandise officially I somewhere. I know. Even a Funko Pop. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, who in their right mind wouldn't want a Bebo? I know. Who's holding back on the licensing for Bebo? Who's got that all sewn up? <laughs> Turns out it's a toy that no one heard about that they stole, and they're hoping no one. Will <laughs> no one notices that they've thieved it and claimed it as their own. <laughs> Maybe they're suffering licensing issues from the people that own the website social network Bebo. Ah, uh, yeah, can't can't release it. The trademark, yeah, yeah. It's got to be Bebo with a zero at the end or something, yeah, and then they can get around the licensing yeah. law. <laughs> Does that Bebo still exist? No. Not I think it got long. bought over. I can't remember who bought it over. It doesn't Some, exist anymore. Someone's got all your photos off of Bebo. Someone bought the server farm and now owns <laughs> it all, so... Yeah, good luck with them. There's nothing worthwhile <laughs> on there at all. I mean, there might be, I can't remember. You won't find out until you stand for political office and someone goes, well, I think you'll find I have your Bebo profile. Until I get cast uh, in a CW show to do a background check on me. So like, we saw this picture on your Bebo profile. Like, what Bebo profile? What is this picture? It's like, don't know, but you look stupid, so we're not hiring you. Other funny stuff. Just in general, the sitcom or the, mm. the different TV shows was great because the way they shot each of the different shows within the show was brilliant because they just put so much into it. Like the way the Friends rip-off was lit and the way the camera worked and even the way they were acting as well. You could imagine Nick Zeno playing a Joey-like character in another show. They all fitted into it so well when they were doing that initial bit of coming back from the shops and forgetting the bit. You could tell each one was so well-defined that you were like, oh, I know exactly what show you're going for here. It was Bayrad when he went into the Downton Abbey show and he mm. told a joke and then paused for a second, waiting for a laugh track, even though <laughs> he shouldn't know that there's a laugh track. Mm-hmm. But it's like his character would stop for a second. So the little touches like that. I thought that was a really neat idea. and They managed to do it so well. Oh, and I forgot they got the puppets back in the cul-de-sac episodes. And that was a really good way of quickly resolving the tension that was between Sam mm. and Ava in that episode as well. Because it's like, they're puppets, their emotions are heightened. They can just get on with us and say it now. Someone a while back spent a lot of money on those puppets and they're like, we now need to use them every season. (laughs) (laughs) The Mr. Parker's cul-de-sac stuff was really good as well because the way you just had the legends feed into that in different ways, in their own ways, was hilarious. Like when you had John Constantine singing, that was something I didn't expect to ever see. I mean, he's not very good at it, but it's funny. Yeah, it was sort of unnatural to see that character doing that, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. During the zombie apocalypse episode was quite funny where they were jumping out of the moving truck where Mick pushes Nate out of the truck and Ava does that thing, you know, she holds her nose as if she's about to jump in <laughs> the water when she jumps off. Or them all waiting on the bus, that was hilarious. Just that shot of them all waiting on a bus. I know, and then a very non-British bus pulling up just for continuity problems. <laughs> I've got to point out it's blatantly not a British bus. <laughs> And Zari's like, you don't own a car? And he's like, no, I've always been able to thumb a lift. <laughs> never, <laughs> never got one. So what about your taxi? <laughs> it wasn't his taxi, was it? It was Chazzy's. That was pretty funny. I did like the, of course, they turn up in a zombie invasion and the, the army guy shoots them in the head and goes, yeah. oh, they survive headshots now. And they talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think the waiting at a bus stop thing, I think they managed to perfectly capture in a single image what it's like to wait on a bus that might never be coming. Is this a holiday? Did we arrive on a holiday? (laughs) Is this a bike holiday? (laughs) Yes, and uh, somebody who lives in West Lothian can tell you the pain is real. (laughs) Well, I used to live in Falkirk, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Buses. Don't ever get on them. And when Mick steals it, it's like, should we tell him he's driving on the wrong side of the road? It's like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely great. They had some great funny moments. I think next season for reviews, instead of trying to weave in some kind of analysis, something I just found funny, I might just start bullet pointing during a review, just kind of what I enjoyed, just what I kind of thought was stupid and funny. Well, uh, I think that'll be quite a good way of doing it, because I assume there'll be just as much emphasis on the comedy, if not more so, next season. So highlighting what does and doesn't work is actually would be quite an important part of the analysis. Yeah. So any other funny things come to mind before we move on to wrapping up? Uh, nothing specific except the whole Shakespeare palaver, which we previously mentioned. Anzari, which the fan. Was... That was a killer gag. It was just so funny. Just wish she kept opening the fan in Ava's face and she was like, stop it! <laughs> uh, pretty much anything involving Marie Antoinette and her head. No, where it kept falling off and she was like, oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and also when John basically drinks Rasputin to stop him being a problem. Yeah, it was pretty disgusting. It wasn't especially funny, but Zari pretending to be Cleopatra. I liked that, I just thought it was fun. And John had to pretend to be Jack the Ripper. <laughs> it wasn't hugely funny, but... No, it was just a moment, wasn't it? It's when she bursts through the door and goes to bow before your queen. And she's like, I'm Cleopatra, and I'm like, yeah, cool, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to use, again, the different personality. Okay, if there's any other funny moments that we think of, I'm sure we'll think of them as soon as we stop recording, and then that'll be that. So, how about we wrap up? So, Andrew, give me your final statement on Legends of Tomorrow Season 5. Final statement, I really, really enjoyed it. To the extent I always saved watching the episodes for Sundays, which I spend being lazy as hell and watching things that I really enjoy, rather than things that I feel obliged to. It's just a whole hell of fun. I loved how much focus on character development and interaction there was and i'm hopeful that things will continue in the same vein going forward chris what are your final statements talented cast some good stories lots of fun so well done them i I really enjoy it a bit like andrew i don't feel that i'm obliged to watch this i actually enjoy watching it so yeah good show well done Apart from the fact you had to binge like four episodes in one day. Apart from the fact that I had to binge uh, four episodes because I have no life at the moment due to extra COVID work. But apart from that... (laughs) And you're you're obliged to watch it for this podcast. And I'm obliged to watch it on time for this podcast. But I I would have watched it anyway. I don't feel obliged, apart from the fact that I was obliged to get it done right before this recording so that I had things to say and I didn't have to leave at the spoiler klaxon. (laughs) (laughs) My final... Statement is, love the season. That was really good fun as usual. I love the characters. I love the writing on this show. I just can't wait to see what they're going to get up to week on week. It's one of those genuine, unapologetic pleasures you can get watching television. And that's kind of rare, I think. The other shows in this universe, I'm sitting there being like, okay, I like it, but here's my issues with it. And I did have some issues with this. Nothing's perfect, of course. But at the same time, I don't really care because I'm just along for the ride so much. Can't wait for next season. Can't wait to see what they get up to, what they do next, what they do with the characters, just what form the show takes. Because 
you think it's going to go one way and then they come up with some other way to just make it insane and it's incredible. We're lucky to have this show, I think. Mm. And we should feel privileged that we do have it. And let's hope it never goes away. Like Supernatural did 15 seasons. Let's get to season 20. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me, Andrew. Thanks for being here and taking time out of being stuck in a totem or whatever it was. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I just like to feel like I'm useful. Good. We all like to feel that way. Chris, thanks for being here and binging most of the show in one day. Thank you for having me on. Bebo loves you. So that was our discussion of Legends of Tomorrow Season 5. Thanks to YouTuber Dagma for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then the fates compel you to click that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, the fates command you to leave a star rating and a comment. If you want to talk about Legends of Tomorrow, the Arrowverse, or anything else, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. The fates command you to join us on the next Neil Before Pot. Mm-hmm.